listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 230. Paige. Yes. There's people watching us. I know. It kind of creeps me out. <laughs> yeah. Not, not really I, used to this. I'm usually in my gym clothes. Yeah. You know. But you know, the show must go on. And speaking of the show must go on, we got the really cool review. Yeah, we do. Returning yeah. to the patch. You want to read it? Of course. Hello. I've been listening to your podcast since I began fracking as an equipment operator back in 2017, after my retirement from the Army. After the layoffs in early 2020, I still continued to listen. After multiple jobs and unemployment, I finally got a call back and will be in West Texas soon. Your podcast makes me sound smart <laughs> when talking to other EOs when working. Haha. <laughs> so my question is, what are your thoughts on older generation starting that they will not return since the last downturn? Thanks again for providing an excellent podcast. Five stars. What do you think you meant by older generation? You. Me? <laughs> uh, so here's my take on this. Since the 80s, since the downturn in the 80s, my generation has been saying, I am never coming back to the patch. And then prices go up, and then the phone rings, and we come back, right? And that experience is invaluable. Warren made a joke about the freeze and the loss of power in Texas, but I talked to a handful of close businesses, acquaintances of mine, and one of the problems they had out in the gas fields is the techs that are used to dealing with below freezing weather in South Texas have all left. The only ones that are left to deal with that, to know how to use a torch, know how to use glycol to go there, are the guys my age. The problem is you have one person that's done it, now he has to try to educate 40 people that have never done it in some of the worst weather conditions we've seen in a decade. And so it's really interesting to see that the reason we lost a lot of gas flow was because the lack of experience of old hands that have dealt with that before. So I think my generation will always come back. I think we're the first one to say we won't, but we never will. Unfortunately, what we really need is this millennial generation to come back, and they won't. And it's, it's just sad. You know, as an industry, we have to have engineers and project managers. No matter what we do, it's engineering and project management. And what happens when we can't hire people? You know, and if you look at how we're moving toward the tech side of the house, we're in competition with Google and Amazon for tech talent. Ask a 25-year-old who would he rather go work for. You know, we have to fix that perception. I want in a few years for the, that guy to go, I want to go work for freaking National Oil Well. I don't want to go work for Amazon. You know, I want to go work for Chevron or whatever. So unfortunately, this younger generation that got burned aren't coming back, which then feeds that whole cycle of the guys that got laid off that are my age coming back as consultants making three times the money they were making before where they're employees. You know, not sure how that ever made it through, but... <laughs> That's the reality of it. But I think that's the good answer. So whoever sent this review, thank you very much for the five-star review. And I, I really think you have to worry about the older gen, I mean, the younger generation not coming back. All right, let's get into the news stories. First one is Kerry pitches hydrogen to oil and gas industry. Okay, so y'all know that I try to not get political unless where I have to. So a quick trivia question. How many of y'all in the audience know where the hydro part of hydrocarbons come from? It's hydrogen, right? So the cool thing is hydrogen can be found naturally in gas. You can also strip it from gas. And in this article, they're talking about green hydrogen. And the thing that bothers me a little bit about starting labeling fuels as either green or non-green is unless you understand the chemistry and the physics, it always doesn't make sense. So in this case, they're talking about how you can take seawater and electrolyze it. 
You can also take produced water and electrolysize. They don't talk about that here. And you're basically running electricity through the water. You need the salt in the water to conduct electricity. And off one anode, you'll get hydrogen. And off the other one, you'll get oxygen, right? It sounds totally safe and awesome for the environment, right? What it doesn't tell you is that when you do that, you start dumping those salts back in the water. So you're increasing the salinity of the water. That's not always good for the environment. So there has to be a balance there. They also talk about how hydrogen is easy to move around. And up to a certain point, it is. It's really kind of cool. You can move it for free. You can throw it in a natural gas pipeline, move it anywhere in the, in the continent for almost nothing, and at the end, strip it back out from the natural gas, and now you have your hydrogen. The thing is, hydrogen is less energy dense than the actual natural gas. So because of that, you have to use more of it. I actually am a big fan of hydrogen, but not in combustion. I think the future is fuel cells, and that the weak part of most renewables is their ability to store that energy, because battery technology just is not cost-effective. But how cool is it if when you had surplus solar or wind that you actually electrolysize, produce water, make hydrogen, store that, and then use that for energy later? I think it's genius. I absolutely think it's coming. Another thing I talk about in this article is the growth of hydrogen vehicles. That, unfortunately, is not going to happen. Most people can't fill up their car with gasoline responsibly, much less something that's 372 degrees below zero under 15,000 PSI. So until it gets to the point that the robots make that hydrogen connection to your car, I don't think we're going to get there. Although I do think once we get to the fuel cell part, we, we actually, that will be a viable option. So nothing against Kerry. I have a little bit of disagreement how he pitched this, but hydrogen is something very solid. In fact, y'all and the 3,000 people that are watching online, I'll tell you a secret. We have a hydrogen podcast coming down the, the, the road, right? That's how much we believe it's important. All right, so next article is OPEC president says oil market rebalancing, pandemic still a risk. Let me translate that. We're not going to increase production because we want the price to go up. And we're going to blame it on a pandemic. Regardless of what you think of OPEC and the cartel and the politics and, and all that sort of stuff, they're usually pretty smart. Every now and then they, they zig when they should sag. But they're just trying to get the price up. Most people in this room and most people watching on the live stream, which by the way, live stream, hi, don't realize that even though OPEC has some of the lowest production costs out there, and when I say OPEC, you really should think of Saudi Arabia, but they have a social cost that nobody talks about. So the monarchy knows that if they don't keep their young people employed, the chances of having some type of rebellion or some type of issues is much higher. And so what they do with a lot of the profits they make from hydrocarbons is they have all these construction projects to keep their young people working so they won't radicalize. And so that's an eight layer of cost that you never see worked in. When we do our estimates, we always work in that social cost. So, and the other thing about OPEC is, is their mature fields. And so they're starting to have declining output or have, having to do more than just pump a gallon of seawater in the ground to get a gallon of crude out of the ground. And so what they're really doing here is trying to position themselves, because you remember, they're still in competition with Russia and in some ways, even us. And so they're just trying to get the price going up. They also need foreign investment. There's other parts of the value chain that OPEG realizes that it needs to tap into, specifically downstream petrochemicals, ethylene crackers, that sort of stuff. And they're looking for foreign investment to try to start capturing that part of the value chain. So this is OPEC doing what OPEC does best and says that it's doing something for the good of the world and truly doing something for the best of OPEC. But honestly, I'm okay with it. What is it today? 63 to 6350? I mean, people, we're above $60 a barrel. No it's incredible. No yes. All right, so next article is Rystad. Offshore project commitment set to hit record deep water to have top growth. Hmm. So we're heading into the energy transition, right? And, uh, and people, I'm not going to make fun. I, I love renewables. I think the mix is the most important thing in the world. Our mix will always change. We're actually starting a renewables podcast. But one of the things that you have to realize is that 
It has to make business sense. And so what's really promising about this article is that you're showing the major operators and some of the big nationalized oil companies are saying that they have these budgets for some very expensive offshore projects, including deep water projects, out to 2025. So that tells me one thing. That tells me that Chevron and Exxon and Petrobras think that oil and gas is still to be highly profitable in the next 10 years, or they're all wrong. They're not all wrong, right? You don't, you don't put $80 billion into a 90-year, you know, from spud to decommissioning deep water project if you think you're going to lose money. Your boss is not going to approve that. The shallow water has never really died down. Deep water is starting to come back, and we need it to come back. Unfortunately, the really expensive stuff, the ultra deep water, high pressure, high temperature, until we can get the price down, it's just not going to come back. Yeah. And I think the price is going to stay around where we are now, 60 to $70 a barrel forever, unless we have a war in the Middle East. And darn it, aren't we starting to poke fingers in that? I mean, can we just leave them poke? alone? Bomb? How yeah. So if we have a war in the Middle East, you'll have the typical cycle where prices will go through the roof. Here in America, every operator and their cousin will go into production, flood the market with crude. Russia will then go grab market share away from OPEC while we're just worried about making money. And then the market will be oversaturated. Unfortunately, the prices will come down again. We don't want that to happen. We want it to stay $60, $65. And if it does creep up, let's do it slowly. One of my biggest wishes, and, and I'm pretty sure it violates anti-competition laws, but I really wish the U.S. and OPEC and Russia could get together in a room and go, hey, dudes, let's agree on production numbers. When the world's economy ramps up, let's all step on the gas. Let's all increase production. Let's all make money. Let's keep prices low for the world's consumers. And when the world's economy slows down, let's all take our foot off the gas, lower production, keep prices steady, and it would fix so many issues. And up until recently, OPEC especially would have never made that agreement with the U.S. Russia would have. Now, I think they both would have. It's just a matter of, can the U.S. do it? And I, I'm pretty sure it's illegal, but in my hearts of hearts, I really wish we would do it because it would fix so many issues. All right, so the next article is Chevron cleans up Indonesian oil spill. This was 8.4 barrels, not million. What? This was 8.4 barrels. Why is it in the news? Because it's oil. So... Oh. So in Indonesia, Chevron had a pipeline, transport pipeline. The ball valve lost its seal. We had 8.4, not 8.4 million, 8.4 barrels. Unfortunately, it gets charged into the bay. 37 minutes later, it was contained, all 8.4 <laughs> barrels. It's not funny. It is. No. <laughs> Those 8.4 barrels then, an hour and a half later, were completely cleaned up. Chevron's HSE quality management has now certified that the environment is clean, so we fixed it. Hats off to engineers. You drop 8.4 barrels somewhere and you know you dropped it, you get it cleaned up that same day. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> I bet they didn't even use a boom. <laughs> Goodness. All right. So, next article is Saudi Aramco and Chevron see better days ahead. What the hell is going on when Saudi Aramco and Chevron are shaking hands and agreeing on stuff? <laughs> Um, and I, I love both of those companies. I don't know if we have anybody from Sir Ramco or Chevron out here, but I love both of y'all. So this is Sarah Week. If you don't know, normally we're there, but this year is a little bit different. Well, last year was a little different. Last year was very different. And so this is basically Sir Ramco and Chevron basically seeing, you know what? 
When we look at the global demand for hydrocarbons and we look at where our production is and we look at where consumption is and we look at where those trends are and we look at the layers of efficiencies that we can drive with technology and new processes and we look if we can share with each other, even though normally we're competitors, but can we share some stuff to help lower our costs and make our operations more environmentally friendly? And when they all say yes, it actually is a really cool thing. This is something that the super majors, the large service companies, the nationalized oil companies in recent times have all been starting to share safety data and environmental data, which is tremendous. And not the generic press release. I'm talking about real root cause analysis. Now we need to start doing that from an operational side. You know, we need to start being able to share things. You know, why should Chevron and Exxon, I'm sorry, David, when I'm saying I say this, but why should Chevron and Exxon both have in on warehouse NOV mud pumps when they both use the same pump? Why can't they just have one and share it, right, and lower their cost, right? So that's where we're heading. Now, you and I both know that it's going to take 20 years for our culture to change where what would normally be competitors are okay working closer together. The other thing is what's happened with ESG metrics, which by the way, we have an ESG show, which is our fastest growing show. Sean and Eric are here somewhere. But the ESG metrics, which went from being a public relations marketing type of spin is now legit. And it really should be legit. You know, as an industry, nobody cares more about the environment than we do. And we've been that way since I've been in the industry. And yes, we make mistakes, but damn it, we make a mistake, we fix it. So things like public perceptions now figure into this. Methane practices, uh, the attitudes around ESG. This is Women's History Month. Even, you know, we just came out of Black History Month. So even all of that figures into here. And I just think it's really cool that during Sarah Week, you have the major operators talking about business from a different point of view other than P&L type of stuff. So it looks like they both agree the market's recovering. They both believe the recovery is, I don't want to say solid, but it's real. And that as we move forward in time, consumption will go up globally as people start flying and buying soccer balls and stuff. And so the demand will go up. It's going to be interesting to see. So diesel here in the U.S. went up. The demand went up dramatically, which I was unexpected to me. Why? Because all of y'all were ordering from Amazon when y'all were locked down at home. It's actually kind of cool. But, you know, the flip side of it is the demand for gasoline has not went up because all of y'all decided y'all can order from Amazon and stay at home. Yeah. So we're waiting for the demand for gasoline to go up. We need the demand for petrochemicals to go up. It's, you know, here in the U.S., we've crippled our economy, which I think it was in some ways the right thing to do for the pandemic. Some parts of the world didn't. They just couldn't. In other parts of the world, I think the lockdown and the effect of their economy is going to last much longer. Where that's going to go, I don't think anybody has a true eye on, but the trend is important. You're seeing people flying. You're seeing, has anybody checked airfare rates lately? I saw $70 one-way trip to like California. You used to be able to get like from here to say Miami, that's normally say a $700 flight on Southwest. And for up until just recently, you got it for 50 bucks. Now it's starting to go back up, which sounds Mm -hmm. scary. It's cool. It's cool that airlines can start charging more because they're starting to have more traffic. I kind of like the cheap rates. <laughs> I like the cheap rates. <laughs> well, we'll call That's Southwest me. and see what we can do. All right. All right. So the next article is, what is this, Chevron Day? I didn't pick these. You did? You did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Chevron invests in geothermal <laughs> development company. You know, so geothermal energy is interesting. So basically, you find some place that's reasonably close to the surface that's hot because the earth core, you drill, or maybe you don't have to drill. You look at what's going on in Iceland, a lot of times they can generate geothermal from natural geysers right there. You drill and you basically then do the normal thing where you turn water into steam, use that to spin a turbine, just like you do every other type of electrical generation and make electricity. And so it's a very environmentally friendly way 
to generate electricity. With that said, you're still removing energy naturally from the earth. You're changing the energy from the temperature energy to electrical energy. That has an impact to our environment. Nobody can tell you what it is and whether it makes a difference or not, who knows. But there's actually been a lot more work in trying to do geothermal in areas that aren't suitable for it from a geology point of view. This is one thing I think is really cool that Chevron and Baselit are doing is they're actually trying to test geothermal energies in areas that normally you wouldn't think they would be able to make a profit at. Now, what's interesting is this is financed by Chevron Technology Ventures. CTV, who I've known for a long time, typically invested a lot of money into services and technologies in the production of hydrocarbons. And see them actually venture into the renewable space is, is interesting. But you're seeing that with a lot of the super majors. You're seeing that with the service companies. So it's going to be, Baseload comes in as the catalyst, and they're the ones that actually will take that electricity generated and actually try to market it on the free market. So I think it's a good combination. Do I think they're going to be successful at it? Not this pilot program, but if they learn from it, they might be successful in the future. And I've never in a million years would have ever thought of Chevron as a geothermal company. Surprise. Surprise, yeah. It's the world we live in. <laughs> All right, so last article, BP joins IBM Quantum Network. Okay, so Paige and I were lucky enough to go to IBM's Think conference. Oh, that was so much fun. Was that three years ago? It seems like that, yeah. If any of y'all been to Salesforce... IBM's Think Conference makes Salesforce look like a kindergarten birthday game. It was unbelievable. It was in San Francisco. It was like the entire city. They literally bought other events so they could have their venues. Yeah. They had they, they had all the public transportation. They ran out of hotel rooms. People were staying in carnival ships, right, in the, in the bay. And what was cool is they didn't allow any of the vendors to try to sell anything. They were just there to explain. So I actually got to sit down with the quantum computer guys over two days and learn about quantum computing. I can explain it to you, but I still have no idea how it works, right? Because it's here and there at the same time. You got me beat. Yeah. The bottom line is it's an exponential increase in processing power, right? And so this is huge in a couple of places. First place, when I'm not gonna even talk hydrocarbons yet, first place is actually weather, right? Climate forecasting. If you don't know the difference, weather is basically what happens here locally over a short period of time, say a week, Climate is the entire globe or a portion of the globe, say the Northern Hemisphere, over say a 30-year period of time, right? One of the misconceptions is that the same computing models that can't really predict the weather, which is much easier to predict over a five-day period, can't actually predict climate change. If you can't predict what's going to happen in the next three days in your backyard, it's impossible for you to predict what's going to happen on the other side of the world in 200 years, right? Nobody wants to talk about that. The answer to that is quantum computing. Now, I talked earlier about the geothermal pulling energy out of the ground. You ever think of a windmill? And I, I love wind energy. It's pulling energy out of the air. That's going to change our climate. Now, whether it changes it for bad or good, nobody knows yet. Right. But quantum is who's going to figure this out. Nobody right now has a double-blind, placebo, repeatable climate model. Nobody. I've offered thousands of dollars for somebody to show me one, one. There's millions of studies, millions of studies, but not one where the data set was blind to both 
the users and the people giving it to it, not one where the results from the data set was repeatable, right? So, so quantum computing is the answer to that. And IBM, and I'm not saying this because they're in the room and they're, and they're, they're one of our sponsors. IBM is leading the charge in commercial quantum computing. This is a game changer. This is a game changer in space. This is a game changer in climate forecasting. It's a game changer in seismic. Quantum computing has already identified large reservoirs where companies like ExxonMobil missed it. ExxonMobil doesn't miss much, right, in seismic. But the quantum computing was able to find patterns in that data that no person could find. And so what this is going to do is, number one, increase the amount of recoverable reserves that we're going to have. Number two, it's going to help us quantify with real science our impact to the environment, which then will allow us to mitigate it. Because honestly, we're the best mitigators in the world. I talked about the Chevron spill. It didn't even take us a day to fix that one, right? So this has high hopes for our industry, but also high hopes for things like space travel. Right? So I love the fact that we're heading down this route. I will say my one fear, because I'm a Terminator fan, is the whole Skynet thing. Um, <laughs> and I do know enough about it to know that if it would happen, it would be over with before I knew it was happening, so I'd be okay. Right? All right, that's all the articles, Mark. That's all the articles? That yep. must mean you want a drink. I already have one. Oh, me neither. Well, before we do anything else, speaking of IBM... IBM gives away this really cool shirt. It's a pump jack print on the front. It has our logo on one sleeve. It has the IBM logo on the other sleeve. It has a unique serial number on the front pocket. They're unique printed, which means they're instantly collectible. You can register every week. We give away one a week. And that unique serial number, we give away cool stuff to. So just go to the show notes. If you're on Android or iOS, swipe up or left for the show notes for the show. Go click, go register. If you don't win this week, you can register every week. And then pay attention to that number because it's worth something. Weekly rig count. All right, so in the U.S., we have 402, so we're up five from last week. Canada is 163, down nine. Internationally, 677, up 12 from last week. Not a bad place to be. Not a bad place at all. Poor Canada, though. (laughs) Poor Canada. And speaking of nice place to be. You and your segues. So LinkedIn, just go to LinkedIn and search for OGG, and anything pops up, just join it, right? That's safer. Yeah. So we have our, our LinkedIn page, which we're... So we have our LinkedIn company page, then we have our group, and then we have our street team group. Now, the street team's interesting. So street team is our all-volunteer group. About 300 people, I think, globally we have in the street team, and about, I don't know, 70 that are really active. And basically, we want you to help us with our social media. We form committees. So we have a leadership committee now. So now, instead of just me and the core team looking at what's coming ahead in the future. We now have our parts of our street team that are going to do that and document it and feed us that information. We're getting ready to experiment with TikTok. No, I'm not dancing on TikTok, but we're going to experiment with that from a social media point of view. I would pay to see that. <laughs> we have a leadership committee, right? <laughs> we have a student committee. We want to make sure we're starting to reach out to students in a very organic way. So if, if you can volunteer an hour's worth a month, we're not asking for a lot, hour's worth a month, go to OGGN Street Team, sign up. And if you get busy and you can't meet your obligation, we don't care because you're a volunteer. It's okay, right? And we got some cool swag, unique shirts. Whenever things get back to normal, you can join us as our press team if we're in your local geography. So pretty cool subgroup of people. Yep. And then finally, is our website refreshed? Uh, I, I probably. I'm going to say it is because I'm not going to log in. So anyway, go check out the new OGG and <laughs> website with all the new shows, all the new live streams. And then we put out this monthly oil and gas events newsletter. Literally 10 years ago, I was aggravated and I couldn't go to one webpage and find out where all the oil and gas conferences were. So now I'll make my interns do it. And so once a month, we put it in your inbox for free. We don't want anything for it. It's useful. Go sign up for there in the show notes as well. And then if you want myself or any of our team to come speak at your event, let us know. 
I'll tell all of y'all a secret. I interviewed Condoleezza Rice a few months ago. It's a private event. I was in gym shorts. I had a nice shirt. I was in gym shorts. I bet I'm the only person in U.S. history that's interviewed a former Secretary of State in gym shorts. <laughs> so if you want me to come interview your people in gym shorts, <laughs> let me know. And then we have our first Friday Q&A. That's the place where you send questions in. Remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to help educate our audience. If you submit a question and we use it on the air, we'll give you a big shout out. Ready to get out of here? Yep. All right, folks, remember, <laughs> do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And I guess here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for March 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, our OGGN Here and Now live event on March 4th at Churrasco's in the Memorial area of Houston, Texas, and the Texas Wildcatters Open at Black Horse Golf Club in Cypress, Texas. Next up, we have our three online events, Sarah Week from March 1st to 5th, Transformathon from March 1st to 7th, and the TAMU SBE Career Enhancement event on March 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for March. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Hey, Mark and the OGGN team. Congratulations on the milestone, a million downloads. It's insane. Appreciate all the work that you do, especially the forums where you bring thought leaders together to have dialogue about topics to help improve the market and certainly the industry. In this world we live in with COVID and the winter Armageddon, we are all in this together. And thanks for bringing us together and using this as a forum to make it happen. So congratulations on the milestone. Here at Data Gumbo, we're thankful to be a part of it and look forward to a healthy and prosperous 2021. I'd like to say congratulations to Mark and all the professionals that are on the team for OGGN. It has been a pleasure working with them, and I am so excited about the future. There's just so many opportunities for all of us and a million plus downloads. That What an accomplishment, just a testimony to the great information and the service that you guys do for our industry. Hi, it's Jason Duff from IBM. I just wanted to congratulate Mark and the OGGN team on reaching a million downloads, a fantastic achievement. Love that whole community. I love being involved with OGGN from engagement of what does it really mean these, you know, in our torrid times, how we dealing with the market, understanding, sharing, and really jointly helping each other be relevant in the market. So thanks, Mark and the team, and I look forward to working with OGGN and Mark in the future. Cheers. Congratulations, OGGN, on your millionth download. Hewlett Packard Enterprise is elated to be a part of this process and of this journey. I can't wait to see what we can accomplish together in 2021. This is Sean Beaker. I'm the Demand Generation Team Manager at Anderson Hauser USA. Just wanted to congratulate the OGGN team on a million downloads. That's amazing. It's been uh, great being a partner with you over the past year for the HSC podcast. Yeah, and I'm Katie Houston. I'm a digital marketing specialist here at Andrews Nauser. It's been so great working with the OGGN team on the HSC podcast. Big thank you to our host, Russ, and congratulations again to everybody for 1 million downloads.
Congratulations to Oil & Gas this week on 1 million downloads from the Pirate Syndicate. I just want to congratulate the team, Mark, and congratulations on all of the things you're doing. And I'm looking forward to amazing adventures in 2021. Hi, everyone. Mark, I just heard that you had 1 million downloads of your super duper podcast. I want to tell you that I'm so thankful that I have been a part of this. And two years ago, we had our first podcast with you. And I cannot tell you how appreciative I am that I got invited to that podcast and I was able to share some of information that we possess about our industry on your podcast. You helped us to open the door into a new business, literally after your podcast, our company grew to the levels that we couldn't imagine. And I appreciate you. I am happy to be the part of your community. And I would like to help you guys grow and have another million of downloads in the next couple of months. Thank you. Wow. One million downloads. Congratulations to OGGN, Mark and the team and producing all of the amazing content, community and everything that's going on around you. Congratulations. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. And I look forward to 2021 and many more adventures along the way. I think Oil & Gas Global Network has helped us to present the new face of oil and gas, a face of an industry committed to supplying clean energy and to doing so with advanced technological developments. It's been a pleasure to work with Oil & Gas Global Network, and it's been a pleasure to share the stories of Technip FMC, but also to listen to all these extraordinary men and women who every day go to work and they think of the, the technology, the, the commercial models, and everything that will make the oil and gas industry a more modern and a better partner with, with the global economy. So congratulations. I wish you the best. It's uh, particularly entertaining every day on my walks and in my commute to work to listen to all of the shows. Thank you for allowing us to share these stories. And I hope we reach several more million downloads in the next couple of years. And once again, best of luck and thank you very much. Hey everybody. So yeah, we're celebrating the 1 millionth download of Oil & Gas Weekly. Or should I say, the 1 million download. <laughs> Congratulations, Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson for Oil & Gas Weekly's millionth download. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.